Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, we are in the third week of our Cage Free series, and we've been looking at what it looks like and what it means to begin to really live in the freedom that Jesus so willingly purchased for us, that his death, burial, and resurrection did not just give us salvation and eternity in heaven. Praise God, that's the biggest thing. The thing that lasts forever, we we step into that first, and that's the big one, and praise God, that's the case. But it's not all. And while we are still on this planet where we still deal with a fallen world and our own carnal selves and all of the challenges of of dealing with sin still in this world, that there's a place where Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to do something fresh in you and I, but we we only have the authority to let him into us. So if we're gonna say on earth as it is in heaven, we can't say, Lord, fix all those people out there so to make it a little more heaven-like. No, all we can do, the place of authority we have is, Lord, Lord, heaven invade this part of earth. Heaven invade me and transform me and change me and help with the way I think and respond and and process, Lord, to do something fresh in me. And and that's where we have authority and that's where we wanna step forward. that's some of what we're gonna be talking about this morning. So if you got your bulletin, your Bible app, or just cruise along on the screen, however it is you're gonna track with us, we've looked at this every week that Jesus set us free so that we can live free. Kind of makes sense. That was the whole purpose. He didn't set us free so that we could just say, hey, I'm aware of it, I'm conscious of it. No, so that we can actually live that way so that that can actually become a reality in our lives. And as Paul was writing to the region of Galatia, which had a bunch of villages and cities in the area of Galatia, um, he writes to this entire region and he writes to them in uh, the fifth chapter, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's just so plain, so obvious. But stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, the, 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 the cage, the lack of freedom, the slavery to sin and self that we had once been in and that Jesus sets us free from. If we don't stand firm, we'll end up right back in the same space unnecessarily. We're still children of God. It, didn't, it did not negate the fact that heaven is our home and God's our father. It just makes us unnecessarily trapped and caged in in spaces on this planet. And there are spaces where sometimes we just ignorantly create some cages for ourselves. Uh, if you're new to Celebration Church, we, we have seven kids. And so, and um, our youngest one, Pressy, is about uh, to turn 10 next month. It's just absolutely wild that she's that old. But when she was three, um, being a little Pressy, having six older siblings. I mean, she just was kind of like, in her mind, she's been 27 her whole life. And so she just kind of goes and does, and she's just, she's just full on pressy. And 
So she was upstairs and she was in a, her big sister's bedroom and, and um, there was a laundry basket there in the room. And of course, to a three-year-old, a laundry basket, it's just a gateway to imagination. I mean, a laundry basket can literally just be anything for a three-year-old. And so Pressy was in the laundry basket, but she was on her sister's bed in the laundry basket, which isn't the most stable foundation, um, especially when you got one of those really fat, squishy uh, mattress toppers, which we yeah, love those things. And, uh, and so that one of those was on there. So Pressy was playing in the laundry basket and it just ended, was, ended up being positioned just right or just wrong, I guess, if you're Pressy, for her to lean over and she knocked the laundry basket over and in doing it, it just landed just right that she ended up being fully encaged with it closed against the headboard. And then because the bed was so squishy and she was not strong enough, she could not push herself. She was just trapped. She's just fully in a cage, all sides opening against the headboard and she's just completely stuck inside of there. Now, if you're claustrophobic at all, that the thought of that is just creeping you out. And so she begins immediately, thankfully, intuitively to yell, daddy, daddy, daddy. And so I go upstairs and that's what I see. I see her encaged inside the, the laundry basket. And thankfully in that moment, I suppressed my laughter. I, was, I did the good dad thing first and set her free. And then I laughed about it later. And, and so, but there was a space that, you know, it was her action. She chose to get in it. Um, she was playing in it. It was in the wrong space and she was doing the non-intended use of a laundry basket and she ended up caged because of it. It was, it was her actions, but she, was, she didn't know any better. And it just kind of happened. And there's been a lot of things in our lives that we have found ourselves kind of in, imprisoned and caged by some things that, yeah, we did, but there's a place of ignorance, there's a place of extra circumstances, there were a place of things, and it's real easy. It's real easy to just cry out to our Heavenly Father, to cry out, Daddy, to get out of that. When there's not a lot of shame attached to the cage. We just didn't mean to, it just, it's easy to explain, yeah, it was ignorant, and I, I caged myself, but there's not a lot of shame attached to it. It's a totally different story when we find ourselves out of our own choices, our own things in a cage that there is shame attached to, that there are things we wish we hadn't have done, we would have known better, and all of a sudden we can look back and I shouldn't have, and I shouldn't have, and I shouldn't have, oh, and now, now I'm in this stuck, and we're, it's in those moments when we also need to cry out to our heavenly father, but shame keeps our mouths closed. And then all of a sudden we try to figure out, can I just live here? Can I make this work? Because I don't want anybody to know what I have done. And some of the biggest cages in our lives are these things where we have shame attached and it's one of the biggest weapons of the enemy to try to keep us locked up unnecessarily, to try to keep us caged. And what we're gonna see is that if we don't, if we don't recognize that God's grace and love meets us in the places that we were just 
ignorant and when we were completely complicit. When we understood the consequences and we did it anyways. Whenever we, and he, his grace will meet us in that space too. So many times we can just boldly bring all of our talents and our gifts to God and say, God, yes, you know, I'm so thankful that you gave me the ability to, to sing or to play an instrument and, and be able to do something like that and, and, and yield that to the, to, the, to the kingdom and to the use of the kingdom and, and be able to give our strength. That's, and we should. God, God wired you. you. You're gifted, all of you are gifted and wired to be able to, to make a difference. That's why he made a you. He made a you because you, you are gonna be a unique expression of him. You're made in his image uniquely. Nobody can show off the aspects of him that you were uniquely built for like you. When you're not fully you, we're missing out on a little chunk of our heavenly father we don't get to see. And that's what the enemy wants to keep shoved down. When the whole picture comes together, when the whole body comes together, we see the whole form and he wants to remove the pixels. He wants to silence them and darken them and let's not be who we're called to be. And so many times we're in a cage and we're holding the key the whole time. And the key is called the truth. If we'll just be honest, if we'll just dare to be truthful, then we will begin to open the door and to step into freedom. But one of the scariest things for any of us in a place where shame is connected is to go ahead and be truthful and honest. And we're gonna see, we're gonna see that uh, we, were, we have to be willing to step into that. Because see, the truth is, is that hiding a thing becomes, quickly becomes being caged by that thing. We begin to hide something. We will quickly begin to be caged by it. People who step into addiction, rarely does the person begin by just sitting at the dinner table and sticking a needle in their arm in front of everybody. No, it happens in secret. First test the substance within the secret of a party or a back room somewhere or whatnot. Even if, it, even if it happened to be legal, it would still be done because it's just something we're like, no, no, no. And we go past it for whatever reason. But then eventually, that thing that we don't bring to light, it ends up being a cage. The cage of addiction always begins in secret. There's spaces where so many different things, it just begins in a place of, of being hidden and we're about to unpack and look at a story of a guy who's honestly one of the great heroes of the Bible. He's an, an absolutely amazing man. The Bible calls him, God called him, a man after God's own heart. Last week when we looked at the story of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, he understood that there was something significant about Jesus being a son of David because David was part of that kingly lineage. The Messiah was gonna come from David, but yet, if all we had of the story of David was the story we're about to look at, David wouldn't be a hero. David would simply be a villain in our eyes. And we need to understand that 
every great person we see has spaces. And we could just spend weeks just breaking down all of the humanity and the fragility of all of the heroes of the Bible. But today, I think looking at this moment in David's life, we begin to see how you and I can maybe step into a greater place of freedom. We're gonna start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're gonna start in verse one. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. This was a particular moment, and of course it makes sense, they don't wanna, they don't have cold weather gear like you and I do, so everybody just kind of agreed, we're not gonna fight in the winter, it's pretty miserable. We'll just kind of park, we'll pause everything, and then springtime things begin to thaw out. Yeah, we'll polish up our spears and swords and we'll go about to war. And this is the time when all of the people, they're gonna start a campaign. They went out to war in the spring. David, he was a man of war. In fact, if you're reading through 2 Samuel, he, just the chapters before, he wants to build a house for God and God says, no, no, your son will. Your son will build a house for me, a temple, but you can't because you've shed too much blood. And he's like, all right, well, I will stockpile resources then. He was a man, he was a guy who goes out and kills Goliath and gets a name for himself through battle. And yet there's a place where he's now stepping away from his role as a leader. A lot of these men that followed him were willing to put their own reputations on the line. And when David was an outlaw and hiding in caves, they went to him because they wanted him as a leader so much. And now when he's supposed to be a leader, he's not being a leader. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. They won. And they won handily. So anybody looking from the outside is like, you know what? All's good. All's cool. Everything's working out just fine. There's nothing wrong with the decision that David just made. Why? Because Israel is still doing what Israel did in David's day, which is win. They, they, they were winning. So it just looks like everything's good and everything was working just fine for everyone except David. David was not where David should have been. And David set himself up. And in verse two, it says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. David should have been resting. He should have been asleep. I guarantee had he been out fighting, he'd have been thankful for the rest. He'd have been thankful for the time to rest and be asleep. But here he's at home, no responsibilities, and he gets bored. Man, so many times, one of the gateways for us being tripped up is when we're bored when we're not giving ourselves to our calling, when we're not giving ourselves to what we should be. And we always have a time when we should be giving ourselves. Yes, in Christ there's rest, but there could be, it's intentional rest. But we have a calling, we have something God's called us to and David parked his calling and found himself bored and he's walking around on the roof of the palace and he shouldn't be in, this, he shouldn't be in Jerusalem, he shouldn't be in his palace, he shouldn't be walking around bored and any of that and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very 
beautiful. So here we are, David is bored, and David all of a sudden catches a glance of a beautiful woman in a compromised position. And the first glance, he didn't know. He didn't know she was there. That wasn't his fault. The second glance, it's David's fault. The fact that David kept looking is David's fault. David could have been a man of integrity and said, oh my goodness, I'm going back in. I don't want to bring shame to that lady. I want to bring embarrassment to that lady. I'm going to turn away. But David did not care about her. He only cared about himself. He only cared that he was enjoying what he was seeing. And him enjoying what he's seeing, he just kept his attention. And then all of the mechanisms began to awaken. And now he is, begins to think and he begins to strategize and he begins to long for this lady. And David sent someone to find out about her. We've got a pause moment. Somebody has to go find out some information and come back. David has some reflective moments and David is not using his reflective moments. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife flag hello run away David run away it's already be handed handed down he knows the big 10 do not commit adultery he's married she's married this is like no 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 yes you let this go too far but here is an exit point here is an obvious exit off of this path you don't care you don't care she's a wife she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now you don't know it yet if you're just casually reading along. Second Samuel doesn't get into the list till about 15 chapters later. But the list of David's mighty men, the men who would lay down their lives, they were his personal guard. They were the elite special forces of, of Israel. They, they honored David and David trusted them and the, all of the list of all of those men and in that list of 30 men out of all of the, the tens of thousands of men of fighting men of Israel, Uriah the Hittite is one of them. He's not a casual soldier. He's not a number in one of the regiments. David knows him. David knows him. And he's like, she was at fight a far distance. I just saw a beautiful woman. Oh, no, no. I'm, he knows who Bathsheba is. He knows who Uriah the Hittite is. Massive exit moment. This is a guy who's laid down his life for you. He is actively out on the battlefield right now, laying down his life for the nation of Israel. And David don't care. Nope. I've already made my mind up. This is what I want. I can't deny the feelings I have when I look at her. I didn't, I didn't cause this. I didn't cause this. I didn't ask for this. You mean I'm just supposed to ignore that? 
I'm just supposed to ignore the way I feel and my thoughts. I'm just being, I'm just being drawn. It must just be natural. It must be okay. No, it is not. There are boundaries. Scripture speaks to how we live out our sexuality. There are boundaries. David refuses it. And then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him and he slept with her. Notice she didn't sleep with him. Scripture says he slept with her. Now it's real easy for us to look at that and go, oh, you old floozy Bathsheba. Out there bathing where the king could see you. And first chance you just jump into bed with him, you old girl, you. Here's the thing, David's king. He's king. There isn't a senate for him to answer to. There's not a judicial system to keep him in check. He is king, anointed by God. His integrity, his heart after God was the check. And David parked it and abused his authority. And she, in her spot, didn't feel like she had any room to say no without risking her life. And she, like so many women throughout history, had found, she found herself in a place where she felt like she could not say no. She could not say no. And he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So now, there's some lasting consequence. There's some evidence and David now has shame. David now has this thing that wasn't just a bad moment and a bad thought in a weak place. No, there's now this life that's here. And so David goes into cover up mode. And the first thing he does, the first thing he does, first place of manipulation. And every time we won't acknowledge the truth, we immediately go into being a manipulator. And we begin to manipulate everyone around us to fit the narrative we're telling ourselves. And now the truth goes out of all sorts of relationships. And so David sent word to Joab, manipulation number one. Joab needed Uriah in battle. He's one of the best soldiers. He's one of the commanders. And now he's robbing from Joab and the strength of the military and says, hey, okay, I I need you to send him to me. Manipulation number one, he sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. That's it. Joab's not going to question him. Okay, maybe something's going down. Maybe he needs some extra protection. I don't know. And so he sends him. So Joab sent him to David. And then Uriah came to him and David asked him, how about Joab? How's he going? How are the soldiers? How's the war going on? He just begins to chit chat. So Uriah called you out from the battle. Just thought we'd visit. How's everything going? Here's this another subtle Manipulation number two, and it's just fake surface conversation. So many times we immediately go into cover-up mode that we wanna just, we'll just deal with fake surface conversation. It's part of the manipulation, it's part of the distraction, it's part of not willing to go there and deal with what we need to deal with. 
And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and, and wash your feet. That means go get cleaned up. You know, you've been out in battle, go home, go get cleaned up. Super subtle. Just giving him permission to go home and suggesting it go there. Man, what a master manipulator. Just putting it, why? Uriah, he's been gone for months. His wife's beautiful. And he goes home and David's like, this will take care of itself. Everybody, including Uriah, will think that it's his baby. And all's gonna be okay. And he just masterfully begins to be the puppet master, manipulate the situation. But Uriah, Uriah was a man of integrity. That's why David had him in as a key place in his guard. He's one of David's top mighty men. He's a man of integrity. It wasn't just that he could wield the sword. It wasn't just that he was courageous. It wasn't just that, 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 that he was the MMA extreme. It was that he had integrity. He could be trusted and Uriah could be trusted. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. The next manipulation, this fake generosity. Oh, here, let me, let me give you something. Just finds its way, all of these little manipulative things taking place at work. But Uriah and his integrity, he slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master servants and he did not go down to his house. He never crossed the threshold of his home. He never even left the entrance to the palace. So in verse 10, it says, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home, man? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. He's like, I'm not gonna have a holiday when everybody else is putting their life on the line. Uriah's integrity held him in check. And at this point, David knows, okay, this plan is off because he square told me I am not gonna go home and be with my wife. So now David has to go to the next place of manipulation. And then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So a pl fake place of hospitality. Ah, just enjoy you being around. Just hang out a couple more days. Just place of control, place of plotting and getting his plan. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. David just kept putting the wine goblet in his hand. Here, have another one, have another one, have another one. Now he is manipulating him in such a sinister way to try to make his thinking get off, get him drunk and maybe he'll stumble home to Bathsheba. Maybe he'll get so blackout drunk, he'll think he went home to Bathsheba. But Uriah doesn't roll with it. But in the evening, Uriah 
went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants and he did not go home. And in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Manipulation number seven, another abuse of authority. And now he's gonna use Joab to fulfill his plan. And then he sent the letter with Uriah. Manipulation number eight, abuse of trust. He sends the letter with Uriah, seals it, and trusts that Uriah's integrity, which is frustrating him, he's like, all right, you're that good man of integrity? Take this letter. Because he knew he wouldn't read it. Because if he read it, this is what it said. It said, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So now there's a murderous plot to just take him out of the equation entirely. Why? Because only Uriah knows Uriah did not sleep with his wife. Only Uriah knows that. We take him out, everyone can just put two and two together and say, maybe he went over in the afternoon, maybe he snuck over there in the night, we don't know, but Bathsheba, she's expectant with Uriah's baby. Here's this plan, and David knew he could trust him on that whole journey to carry his execution orders in his own hand. How sinister, how terrible that he does and he hands it to Joab. Joab opens the letter, reads the letter and knows, okay, in the next campaign, this is what I'm doing. And Joab is manipulated to be an accomplice unknowingly. See, Joab trusted that maybe David knew something about Uriah that Joab didn't know. All of a sudden taking advantage of people rounding up and believing the best, hiding behind people's good impressions. It's just layer after layer after layer if we're not willing to be honest about these things and we feel like everything's looking good on the outside, we're still winning, there's still success, there's still all of these other different things and we're just building our cage more and more and more. And finally, the manipulation number 10. Uriah is killed. And David gives Bathsheba just enough time to grieve her dead husband and then he marries her. She's she's married, pregnant with my baby, all's good. And he just leaves it as that. But every time he had the key in his hand, be honest, be honest, be honest. It's not until Nathan the prophet, the man of God, comes to David and says, David, there's a terrible thing that's happened and he lays out this fake thing that there's this one landowner who uses his abuse of power to steal from an impoverished man. And David says, that man needs to be killed. And Nathan says, you're the man. And David says, I am. I am the man. See, David could have covered it up one more time, 
because David had the full authority to kill the prophet. Said, you, you're, you're a false prophet, you're dead. And he could have carried on the cover-up. The cover-up didn't have to end. He didn't have to respond to the intervention of God saying, deal with this. He didn't have to. But he did. And here's the thing is David never dreamed that God could have taken that situation and do what God ends up doing with it. Because the marriage to Bathsheba should have never happened. Shouldn't have ever happened. But God in his infinite grace chose that David's successor came out of that marriage to Bathsheba. She gets pregnant another time and Solomon is born. And Solomon ends up being God's chosen person to take care of the nation of Israel. Solomon builds the temple for God to inhabit. Solomon writes a bunch of the scriptures. God's redemptive work ends up being absolutely amazing, absolutely remarkable. David never dreamed as he is covering up and covering up and covering up that honesty could have opened up the chain of blessing that ends up coming about. You and I are blessed because we get to read the Proverbs. We get to read Song of Solomon. We get, we get to read Ecclesiastes. We get to get the wisdom God sealed up in that you and I are blessed because we get to read that and all of those were the handwork of God's anointing on Solomon. Never dreamed that he could turn it around. He didn't trust that God could turn it around. But when he finally responded and said, all right, God, I'm not going to cover it up anymore. Things changed forever. We need our team to come up. Because see, what we choose to conceal, we do not let God heal. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is showing one thing on the outside and being something totally different on the inside. It says, there, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear and in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I know David's cover-up was something very large very dramatic but most of us our cover-ups aren't necessarily that although there are some of you that may, may need to have some prayerful conversations need to bring some things to light and I'm here to tell you God's already forgiven you he loves you and he'll bring restoration in a way you never dreamed possible if you'll respond to this prompting I promise you that it will I'm not saying it'll be easy but I'm telling you he'll you'll walk it with you but I think there's a place where you and I all need to respond because there's a cover-up we use all the time. And it's this. Just smiling. Just slapping on a manipulative fake smile. How are things going? Good, fine. When we're covering up. We're covering up the anxiety we don't want to deal with. And we're like, if I can just get through the day and I can get to sleep and I'll just be over and I'll grind through it again tomorrow. And we needlessly live in a cage of anxiety. We needlessly live in a cage of turmoil because we won't be honest. We won't be honest with the people around us. 
Men, I think you and I do it the most. Because we're Texas men. And we don't have anxiety, we don't have fears. We just deal with stuff. We get up, we go to work, we take care of the family, that's what we do. And we live in cages of shame and fear and loneliness. And sometimes being the dad is a lonely role. You don't want to lay some of the stress on the wife you adore, hide the, the hard things from the kids. Can't talk to it with your best friend because you just feel like a wimp. We just hide, we hide, we hide. And God's healing wants to come in. And then we show up in church and we sing. We're like, God, why do I still a mess on the inside? Why am I still a little mad at you? It's like, because you won't be honest. And you won't let me in. You're ashamed. You feel like the weight's too much. You're ashamed. You have guilt. And maybe you've made some financial decisions that you wish you hadn't have. So you gotta work those shifts and you gotta miss those ball games and you gotta miss the weekends because you built the hole and you're gonna grind it out. God says, I got a better way. But you're gonna have to be honest. You have to bring it to light. You can't just keep covering it up and covering it up and covering it up and we do it. I don't think our biggest cages are these big scary ones that we would just make headlines if it came out our cages are the little acceptable ones we all live in every day. I want us to stand up and we're going to, we're just gonna step into a place of freedom and worship this morning. I know I've gone a little long, we're gonna sing a song, I'll release you, I promise. But let's just take those things, take those fears, take those anxieties, take those, that guilt and shame and give it to him this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.